for the unfortunate task this afternoon of trying to keep all of you awake. I appreciate Ben and his prayer asking that we would all have help in trying to stay attentive. I understand how difficult that can be uh, at this particular time. Uh, so I just ask of you for your best effort, and I will give you my best effort, and together we can uh, have a worship service that is pleasing to Almighty God. Charles Spurgeon uh, was a pastor in the 1800s. Certainly we don't condone uh, or agree with many of the things that he taught, uh, but he did say this that I thought was interesting. He said, our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but rather it only empties today of its strength. And I think Corey Tenboom also had a quote uh, that was similar in nature to that as well. Jody Pickle is a well-known American author. I think she's offered some 30 books or so. Uh, but she, she said this. She said, anxiety is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you very far. And I found another quote earlier this week. It said, anxiety is a lot like a toddler. It never stops talking. It tells you that you're wrong about everything, and it wakes you up at 3 a.m. GAD is Generalized Anxiety Disorder. It affects roughly 6.8 million adults in the U.S. PD, or Panic Disorder, affecting some 6 million adults in America. SAD, Social Anxiety Disorder, affecting some 15 million adults in America. SP, or Specific Phobias, affects over 19.3 million adults in America. Anxiety, depression, stress, certainly affecting millions and millions of people not even just in America, but also all over our entire world. Certainly, it's a problem that plagues uh, so many people today in our world, in our country, and certainly is a real problem. I understand that. Having anxiety, I want you to understand this also, is not necessarily wrong, though, is it? It's not sinful. It's not something that separates you from your relationship with God or being in a good standing uh, with Almighty God. I know that sometimes, perhaps in someone's uh, past life, they have experienced trauma, they have experienced situations and sufferings that were not good for them, and it can help foster a mind uh, that is anxious, a mind that is full of anxiety. And I know that there are medicines, there are different things that one can take, one can have in their lives, certainly to help relieve the anxiety that they experience, how thankful we are for modern medicine and the things that it can do for us today. But I say all of that as a preface, so that what we're going to talk about for just a few moments this afternoon does not come across as inconsiderate or insensitive, or even thoughtless as we go through this. I entitled this lesson, I am not anxious. I am not anxious. This is a statement, isn't it? Uh, a set of words that is very matter-of-fact, one that is very factual, one that states, uh, one that voices a state of being, a state of living, a state of mind that someone could perhaps possess while they live their lives. It's a frame of mind or attitude that certainly would do our country well to have, and yet it's one that I think so few actually have. So how can we do this? How can you and I possess a mind where we are able to say, I am not anxious? In just a few weeks, I'm going to have an opportunity to present this lesson uh, to about 100 different young people at a Bible camp in St. Louis, and the overarching theme is the theme of I am. We're going to be looking at the life of Jesus and many of the I am statements that he made uh, during his teachings, but in the evenings, and this was one of my assignments, uh, we're going to look at these different I am statements, and I hope that this will be beneficial to you. Three things I think we need to remember, three, three things that we need to know in order for us to be able to say I am not anxious. Number one is this, I'm not anxious because I know who I am. I'm not anxious because I know who I am. And Genesis chapter 1 painted for you and I is a very clear picture 
of the creation of this world. In verses 1 through verse 25, you and I have a very clear picture, a very clear summary of what God did during the course of creating this entire world, even just through the first five days. We, we sing in our Bible classes, we sing about uh, the songs of creation, and we go over the facts, and we, we drill these things into our minds, we say them, we know them, and oftentimes, even within all of that, we group ourselves as, as mankind, as humanity, within all of these other things that God has created, and rightly so, but we're different, aren't we? When you and I think about God creating each of us, God did so in such a way, in His creation, in such a way that he had never done with anything else before. And certainly we're not discrediting what God had done in the past. In fact, five times up to this point, after God had created what he had created, what did he say about it? He said it was good. And you get to the end of the chapter in verse 31, and looking over everything that God had created, God said what he had done was very good. So we're not taking away from what God has already created through days one through five, but when you get to day six and you look at Adam, Adam as the first created man, the first created human, Adam certainly was created differently, was he not? And in verse 26, we see God creating him in such a way that was only reserved for him and for all of humanity and for not anything else. Notice the beginning of verse 26, then God said, you know the verse very well, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. We're talking about mankind, you and I, humanity, as the pinnacle of God's creation, being created in the image of the Creator. What a blessing, but also what a responsibility that is. You jump forward to chapter 2, you remember there in verse 7, the Bible says, "...and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Our life, our very being, our very breath is, is owed. Our very existence is owed to the hand of Almighty God. We're literally coming from the dust of the ground. And I think that's interesting to think about, isn't it? That you and I, as humans, as individuals, as humanity, we are the pinnacle of God's creation, and yet we have been created from what? From the very dust and from the very dirt on which we walk. It's almost as if God is saying, before you go and get a big head about being the pinnacle of my creation, just remember where it is that you come from. And also, Genesis 3, verse 19, remember where it is that you're going to go when this life is over. Here's the thing, we're no accident, are we? This was not happenstance. It wasn't just by simple chance. There was design and creation. Thus, there was also a designer and a creator. In fact, it was Elihu who said in Job chapter 33 and verse 4, one of the only good things that Elihu said when he was talking to Job, he said, the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life and all of His foolishness. He still uttered these words of truth and certainly we would do well to remember these things. David said in Psalm chapter 17 and verse 8, that we are the apple of God's eye. Isaiah 64 and verse 8, we're the work of God's very hand. We are the clay that is ready to be molded by the potter, that being God himself. Nothing else can say that. None, of, none else of God's creation can say the things that we can say as it comes to the way and the manner in which God created us. Have confidence in yourself. That you as an individual created and loved by God, you can go through this life you can endure the things that you encounter in this life despite your ups and downs, despite your struggles and difficulties, despite all of the things that may go wrong in this world and even in your life, you have the ability to withstand and to endure because you know exactly who it is that you are. 
John said in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. What an intimate relationship you and I are able to enjoy and that we're able to share with God as our Father, we as His children. I'm not anxious because I know exactly who I am. Here's number two. I'm not anxious because I know to whom I belong. I know to whom I belong. I know we've alluded, I suppose, to some of this already. Understanding that as the Creator, we belong to the Creator Himself. And so long as we live on this earth, or if we die here on this earth, we are God's. Romans chapter 14 and verse 8, Paul said, For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, we live or die. We are the Lord's. Talking about faithful Christians, aren't we? Those who have pledged their lives in submission to Jesus Christ and to following His will through the act of baptism, immersion into water for the remission of their sins. Someone who is living a faithful life. That's who we're talking about. Psalm 100, David said this. He said, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. Notice this. It is He who has made us, not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations, be thankful, be full of praise, be ready to bless God. Why? Because he created us. But not only that, yes, God did create us, but he didn't just leave us out to dry, so to speak, did he? He didn't just create us and then just say, go figure it out on your own. He didn't just create us and throw us out there and say, now you've got to do it all on your own. I'm not going to help you in any way. No, we understand that we belong to him. And because we belong to him, God has given us everything that we need. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Second Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, he's given us everything that we need in order to be complete or to be perfect. We belong to God. And I would do well to remember that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price, Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We belong to God, yes. My brothers and sisters, may we never forget the cost that was paid on our behalf in order for that to happen. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, be confident in yourself. Be confident in knowing who you are and to whom you belong in this life, knowing that you belong to Almighty God, and may we never ever lose sight of what it cost in order for all of this to be how it is. Paul said, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. You know, for us as Christians, understanding that we belong to the Almighty, it gives us great hope. And it can help you and I put our anxious minds at ease. Knowing that I belong to a God who loves me. First John chapter 4, beginning of verse 16, we've known and believed the love that God has for us. That God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Knowing that I belong to a God who because of his love for me, sent his son to die for me. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God demonstrating his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Knowing that I belong to a God who planned a way of salvation from the very beginning and escaped from this world who ultimately is going to provide for me a home in heaven. That gives me great joy. It gives all of us great joy, at least it should. It gives me peace. It gives me hope. 
And it allows me to be in a frame of mind where I can put the troubles and the terrors and all of the difficulties of this world to the side, understanding and knowing that they are just that, that they are of the world, that they're not of the way that I'm supposed to live my life. I'm not discounting, I'm not discrediting the people that deal with this on a daily basis. I understand that. But I am saying that for the Christian, boy, there's something better than just simply worrying about this world. I mentioned last week how I'm afraid that there's too many Christians, too many brothers and sisters today who would skip out on heaven if they were given a chance to go today because they would fear that they would miss out on all the things that they had planned in this world. Why do you think a number of people, and I'm not talking about people who have been medically diagnosed with, with, with this problem, but why do you think that there are a number of people in our world who deal with anxiety? Certainly a number of reasons, but brothers and sisters, could it be that there are far too many people who are concerning themselves and consuming themselves with the things of this world. They are loving this world. They are holding on to the world. They are being obsessed with the world. And because of the nature of the world itself, in that it is always changing, it is always different, certainly I think you could see why one might be anxious if they held on to this world. But you flip that coin, because for Christians, where do we place our hope? Where do we place our confidence? We place ours in a never-changing God, in a God who has a 100% track record of keeping all of His promises, in a God who has promised time and time again that He is going to be there for His people. And so long as we remember who we are, that we belong to Him, and that our goal is a home in heaven with Him, we too can go through this life and say, I'm not anxious. May we never grow so comfortable with this world that we become disinterested in heaven. Here's number three. I'm not anxious because, number three, I ultimately know where I'm going. I know where it is that I'm going. In John chapter 14, Jesus delivers some news to his very closest friends, to his closest followers, and it's news that was very troublesome. In fact, in verse 1, he starts out, by prefacing all of this. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. In other words, what he's telling his friends, don't, don't, get a, get a, don't get an anxious mind about this. Don't be overcome with anxiety about the things that I'm about to tell you. Why? Well, he continues on. He says, you believe in God, you believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I said, I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Some people, I suppose, might think this to be a little bit of cryptic language, but I, I don't know, maybe Thomas was thinking the same thing, because as he, can you continue reading, he says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And of course, you remember Jesus responded there in John chapter 14 and verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. Why can I be anxious in, in knowing where it is that I'm going? Obviously, we're not talking physically, are we? We're not talking about some earthly destination. We're not talking about earthly goals that maybe you're trying to attain. I'm talking about looking beyond all of that. I'm talking about you and I as Christians pulling out our spiritual binoculars and being able to look past everything that is presenting itself in our lives right now and spiritually speaking, seeing far beyond and what is my destination out before me? When we talk about this world, it offers us and promises us so much, doesn't it? It promises wealth and fame. Our world promises us all things that are good, good times and lots of friends. Our world tells you to enjoy right now because you don't know if you're not going to get another chance. It tells you to worry about yourself. Our world tells you to worry about your own happiness. Brothers and sisters, our world lies to you every single time. It lied to the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. 
and it lies to you this very day. I'm not anxious because I know where I'm going. I know that as a faithful child of God, unlike the world, I'm going somewhere that is eternal. John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have what kind of life? Eternal, everlasting, never-ending life with God in heaven. I know that as a faithful child of God, unlike the world, I'm going somewhere that is free of the hurt and the sorrow and the pain that we experience on a daily basis here in this world. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. I know that as a faithful child of God, unlike the world, I'm going somewhere where my enemy is not. We've talked about that a little bit already this quarter. We're going to continue talking about it this quarter. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41. And he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I know that as a faithful child of God, unlike the world, I'm going somewhere where I can rest my mind and I can be full of peace and hope. I know that as a faithful child of God, I'm not anxious because ultimately I know that I'm going to heaven. The Apostle Paul certainly experienced a lot of things during his, his ministry, during his time while he was here on this earth, certainly things that were caused for one to be anxious. When you think about the things that we have to go through, they pale in comparison to what the Apostle Paul had to endure. You read through 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you get a very clear picture of many of the things that Paul had to, had to endure, the difficulties and the persecutions that they faced there in the first century. Every single city that he went to, every single town in which he stayed, certainly in the back of his mind, he had to have been thinking that there were people there who did not like him. There were people there who wanted him dead because they didn't want him to continue preaching and teaching about the resurrection of Jesus. And yet through all of that, he penned Philippians chapter 4, which interestingly enough, if you know about anything about the background of the book of Philippians, he penned it while he was sitting in a prison cell. But he said this in Philippians chapter 4, beginning of verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you want to know how I can say I'm not anxious by doing this right here, what the Apostle Paul is talking about. By cultivating and nurturing a relationship with your God in heaven above. By remembering who you are. By remembering to whom you belong and ultimately where it is that your destination resides as you go through this life. When you do that, certainly the peace of God will guard you through this life and will keep you away from a state of anxiety and anxiousness here on this earth. Maybe you're here this, morning, this, this afternoon and perhaps you are someone who's not yet a Christian. Maybe you have anxiety in your life because Jesus Christ is not in your life. And maybe he's not the Lord of your life and yet you want to change that this afternoon. Know that you can come forward repenting of your sins, confessing Christ's precious name. We'll baptize you in the water, that water representing Jesus' shed blood, washing away your sins. Or you can go on your way rejoicing. All of the anxiety that the world offers you completely gone because you know that you are now on your way to heaven. Or maybe you're here, perhaps you are a Christian, as, a, as I suppose a crowd like this during an afternoon worship service would be, and perhaps maybe even as a Christian, maybe you've lost sight of all of that. Maybe there is anxiety in your mind, in your life, because maybe you're not living a life that is appropriate for a Christian to live. Maybe it's not one that's in harmony with the gospel. Know that you can change those things. If you need to repent in a public way, you can come forward, repent of those things. We'll pray for you, and we'll do all that we can to help you and to encourage you. If you have a need this afternoon, won't you come? Together we stand and as we sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you would like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, 
or you can visit our website at RoanoakeChurchOfChrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.